Well, as soon as we scheduled this series and we kind of had it mapped out a bit, I knew there was somebody I wanted to come preach this for us at our church, and that's Dr. Tim Kimmel. Uh, Dr. Kimmel is the executive director of Family Matters, which is an organization that exists to, I'll read the line here, to equip families to appropriate God's grace in every age and every stage of life. God has been gracious to us. That's some of what you'll hear today. And that grace needs to fill our homes. He's a nationally known speaker. He travels around. He does conferences. And he's written some books. Some of you have read some of his books. Probably one of the best known is called Grace-Based Parenting. And one of the newest ones is called Grace-Filled Marriage. And those are available in the lobby. So uh, one of his assistants, Linda, is out there. And she's got a whole table of all of his resources, great resources. You don't need to go on Amazon. And, uh, you know, you can do that, I guess. But a great opportunity to actually thumb through stuff and look at it if you're interested in some of the resources that they have. Uh, Tim and his wife, Darcy, have been married for 46 years. Give it up for that. That's pretty cool. Uh, they have four kids, adult kids, and eight grandchildren. And one of his kids, Cody, is a pastor at Redemption Arcadia. And when their band was over here last summer leading worship, Cody was actually leading worship. So it's, uh, you know, Tim's a, a key part of kind of the Redemption family in that sense. Um, he loves fly fishing. He loves woodworking. Do I hear an amen? And he loves camping in the backyard with his grandkids. And uh, one thing that you can get as you, uh, as you leave today as well is stop by that table, stop by our info desk. They've got a conference coming up, Grace-Filled Marriage, that's next month at Scottsdale Bible Church. Uh, just a one-day Saturday thing, and it would be a great thing for you to find out about as well. So we're really thrilled to have uh, Dr. Kimmel here today. Will you give him a big Redemption Gateway welcome? Uh, it always can be a little creepy when you have a guest speaker because you don't know the guy. So let's try and get to know each other because we're talking about family today. And uh, talked about marriage the last two weeks. And when I think about family, uh, I, you know, I just think families are just really under a lot more stress now than you know, they've been for a long time. We have a culture that's antagonistic to our values. We're just carpet bombed constantly with pressure. And, if, and, if, and one word that I think really summarizes what a lot of families are up against is they're just hurried. Not necessarily doing uh, with, with a bunch of bad stuff, but just a lot of stuff that's hard to sort out life. And, and it, I, I remember as a kid, I went to a circus and I saw a clown do a stunt. Maybe you've seen this, or maybe you saw it on a, a variety show on television where he... Uh, with spinning plates on a stick. Have you ever seen that, you know, where somebody does that? I've always wanted to do that with somebody else's dishes. Let me see, let me see what I... Um, he, he, he was... Um, he, he would get these plates, and he'd put them on a stick. Now, I can't do it with these plates, but he would... And he'd get one, spin it. And then he'd add another, and another, and another. And, of course, the first one's starting to wobble, the third one, if it, whatever. And he's just going crazy like a, 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 a nut job trying to keep these things going. And I thought, that, that's so much what it's like with family today. I mean, even in your life, even if you're not, uh, if you're young and you're just getting started out, you, you know, you got a plate that's, you're finishing up your degree program or, or you started your career, maybe you've fallen in love. Uh, you, you've got friends, you've got church, you've got all these things and they demand this. The cool thing is there's an app for this. And so, so we can kind of keep ourselves organized. And then you get married and then some of these come along. Okay, now... <laughs> 
These require a lot more velocity to keep them going smoothly, you know what I mean? But once again, we're pretty clever people, and we Google some things and, and get some stuff, and we try and build a little pace into it, and everything's going fine. Then one of these comes along. This is a teenager. <laughs> it's not a saucer anymore, but it's not a plate yet. It just thinks it is. It wants all the privileges of a plate, but it doesn't have any money. And it sure has a mind of its own when you try and put some spin on it, doesn't it? Well, I'm just grateful that this church loves their families, loves their kids, loves their teenagers, and they want to help us. And, we, and this is a great passage for us to try to, to dial in on because, because we've been working our way here at Redemption through the book of Ephesians. And, 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 and all, all, just about all of Paul's letters you can break them down in half. He usually spends the first half building a theological foundation. And then he takes that foundation and says, here's what it looks like in real life. And that's what he's done in Ephesians. He spent those three cha first chapters unpacking the cosmic victory of Christ over sin in our behalf. And, and then the gospel of the reconciled church. And then the other theme that comes through those first three chapters is the transforming impact of the, uh, of, the, of the gospel of grace, what grace is supposed to look like. And so Paul uses those first three chapters to show us how God's grace has changed everything when it comes to our relationship with him. And, and he summarizes it so well in, in a passage that might be familiar to you, because if you're ever encouraged to memorize scripture, at least these first two verses are some that are often said, you ought to memorize these. He says in Ephesians 2, verses 8, and we're going to take it through 8 through 10, but he says, for by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. But then he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in those first three chapters, he's building this grace foundation, and then he's going to shift from there and show us what that looks like played out in real life. Now, here's my observation. I'm a gray-haired man, been around the block a while, and, as, and I was brought up in the church uh, and, and so forth. Uh, my observation that, 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 that we Christians, one of the struggles I think we have is that we tend to get grace when it comes to the whole concept of salvation. You know, I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. We realize that, that, that the justification of our heart, uh, that, that that was completely an act of grace that God gave to us. We get that. But here's, I think, our big problem is that we tend to limit God's work of grace to salvation. We can kind of confine it there. And then when we move on into our, our Christian walk, I, with the, the theological word is our sanctification. You know, justification is finding Christ. Sanctification is living for him. We move into sanctification. We leave that grace behind. But see, but, but, but this verse is showing us that no, 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 no. The, the grace that God saved us with, he meant now to wash over us, to completely redefine us and become the default mode of now how we deal with the people around us. And, other, and why would that happen? Because if we invite Christ to come into our life, then guess who's there? <laughs> Jesus is. And what is he known for? His grace and his truth. And so we should be living lives that are guided by his truth, but tempered by his grace. You with me on that? And that grace is very specific in how it shows up. 
Because he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That we should, uh, he, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the, 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 the last three chapters of Ephesians uh, get very specific of what this grace looks like. And not, you got to understand, it's not us, grace, uh, us giving a checklist, what's grace look like, and we go do that. No, it's what God's grace looks like. When Jesus is in his rightful place and starting to come through us. And, and he goes down, uh, we, we, we looked at how, uh, in chapter 4, how, how does that affect how we communicate and talk to people, deal with people, especially on, in stress? In, in the beginning of chapter 5, how, how, do, how, do we, how does this affect how we handle the area of sexuality in our life? Uh, uh, the last few weeks we've been looking at how that impacts our marriage and what grace looks like showing up in our marriage. And then today, the relationship between parents and their kids, next week, we'll be looking at uh, what grace looks like in our work, and after that, what, uh, you know, how God uses his grace to protect us when we're living in a hostile world. So, so let's, go, let's go to those first three verses, because we read four verses just now, and the first three verses are what uh, Paul is, is, is uh, showing how grace should impact Children's attitude toward their parents. And, 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 and let's look at them again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So he gives the children in the family picture two grace-filled mandates. And they are to obey, obey their parents, and honor their parents. But he doesn't offer these in a vacuum. He backs them up with strong reasons for obeying and honoring. Look at these mandates. He says, obey because it makes natural sense. Anytime you have a configuration of people, usually somebody has to be kind of in charge. It just makes sense. And, and so he's saying, obeying your parents is just a natural thing to do, much like if, if, if I'm on a team, I obey my coach. If I'm in the military, I, I go by my commanding officers. If... if, if uh, um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm at school. I, I, I go by the teacher. That kind of, it just makes sense. If, I, if I'm at work, the boss runs a thing. Now, that doesn't mean the boss or the commanding officer or the parents know everything and they get it right all the time. It just says somebody's got to be in charge. He says it makes sense. Things work more smoothly. Then he goes on and says, and honor them. This is a respect for the position they hold and the responsibility they have. Once again, not based on whether they do that well but just the mere fact that they have it. And he says to honor them. But look what he says there. He says, it's, it, one, he gives two reasons for honoring them. He said, first of all, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ten. These are the ones that were etched in stone on Sinai. They were not written on an etch-a-sketch. These weren't ten suggestions. These are ten commandments. And so that's one reason you do it. And the other reason is he says that this is... This is this is the first commandment that he gave that actually had a promise attached. Because you go down through the, you know, the first, this is the fifth commandment in, in Exodus 20, 12. And let's see, you love the Lord your God. Uh, and, 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 and then he says, and don't have make any graven images. Uh, uh, you, you, um, you honor your, excuse me, you uh, obey the Sabbath, right? You go down, he's going down through that, and he comes to this one. All the other ones, he just put, put them out there. But this one, he says, uh, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So God is saying, when you do this as children, he says, your days are going to be long. Now, he's not so much talking about the, the concept used there. It's not so much the, the, the age, how long you live, but how deep and how rich your days are going to be. 
And by the way, this doesn't shut off once we leave home. We still have to honor our parents even in their aging years. And so, so he, he gives some, some things that, that just help us to get beyond that. And then in the fourth verse of today's passage, Paul summarizes how God's transforming grace should impact parents' attitude towards their children. So he talked to this is how it should affect children towards parents. Now, what about parents towards children? Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. So he gives parents in the family picture two grace-filled mandates, and that is to discipline and instruct their children. But before that, he gives a grace-filled warning to parents. He says, don't irresponsibly tick your kids off. So, so as you look at those warnings, don't provoke your children. The word used there for provoke means to irritate, to exasperate. Technically, literally, the word used there is to do something that causes them to resent you. And then, he, he, he's, if anything, he's trying to show, based on the work of grace in our life, we should have families where, as parents... We are focused on trying to bring the best out of our children and everything we do, even when we discipline them. Because God, is in his discipline with us, is trying to bring the best out of us, isn't he? And, and then, then the mandate's to discipline them. Now, now, one of the resources we have out there is a book that was written by our daughter, Karis, called Grace-Based Discipline. Because after I wrote Grace-Based Parenting, everybody said, yeah, but what's that look like when the kids are just so sideways on you? You just want to sell them on eBay or, or, or taser them, you know? Not the big cop thing, but maybe a, a Fisher-Price taser. Do they make those? They should. Uh, but, but, you know, they're just drive, driving you nuts. But here's, here's where the mistake we make when grace isn't in place. It's real easy to confuse punishment with discipline, but God doesn't. Notice he said discipline. He didn't say punish them. See, if you're a grace-filled parent, you never punish your kids. You discipline them. What's the difference? Punishment is exacting uh, vengeance for a crime. It's getting even with somebody. Doesn't care how that person feels about it. Too bad. You did this. Boom. It's showing them who has authority. Discipline, the difference is, is the, the, the actual, what you do may look the same, but the purpose of it is to draw the better person out of them, to make them a better person. And the reason we shouldn't discipline our, or punish our kids is because God doesn't punish his kids. And you know why? Because he sent his son to the cross to take our punishment. That's where he got even with our sin, through his son. And he says, now we discipline. And that, that's a resource you might want to look at because it's a game changer. The thing she brings out, the, the nuance that grace brings to discipline is a, a game changer for parent-child relationships. And then he goes on to say, instruct them. Now, there's a big dis difference between raising children and instructing them. Raising kids is you're, you're taking responsibility for food, clothing, shelter, health, education, welfare. Listen, lousy parents can do that. But instructing them is, is walking. You say, look, life's a minefield. I'm going to teach you how to go across it. You can't avoid it. It's there. But I, we've been there. We're going to show you how the nuances of life. Uh, it, it, it's the parents' responsibility to disciple their children, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Unfortunately, we, 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 we tend to want to subcontract that job out to the church or a Christian school or something. That's not their job. It's our job. And you don't have to go to seminary to be good at it. Just let God's transforming grace have its way. So if somebody were to pin me down and say, okay, what is the role of a parent then? 
If you had to put it down, what would you say the role of the parent is? I'm going to suggest something to you. Here's the way I like to say it. I believe the role of the parent is to connect to the heart of their child in such a way that it makes it easier for that child to connect to the heart of God. That's our main job, to connect to the heart of our children in such a way that it makes it easier for them to connect to the heart of God. Does God ever yell at us? Does he ever scream at us? Does he ever embarrass us or shame us to put us in our place? Does he ever uh, uh, give us the cold shoulder? No, he doesn't do that, even though we deserve it. (laughs) And see, grace is giving people something they desperately need uh, but don't necessarily deserve. Kindness and space, what we really deserve is, you know, uh, reaction vengeance. And so, and so he, he wants to help us do that. And, 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 and I believe God offers us a way to create a culture and a climate within our homes that inclines, look at this, it inclines both the children and the parent to not only follow these mandates, but also maintain close heart connection in the process. And that is his grace applied. It's active grace coming through us. Let me, let me use an example of uh, uh, how to have a climate of grace. Let's use our setting right here. Would you say, since you showed up here at Gateway, um, that this church presents itself well? I think this is a handsome church. It, it presents very nice people. Be, and so far in our, uh, would you say so far, as far as the truth side of the gospel message we're trying to put between the worship and what we said so far, are we getting it right so far, do you think? So far, so good? Okay, so truth is what a lot of Christian parents focus in on. They should. But, okay, so we're getting the truth message right right now. But what if it was 25 degrees in this room the whole time, and you're dressed just like you are right now? See, it wouldn't matter how right we're getting the truth, would it? It wouldn't matter. You're too cold to be able to respond to it. And that's what happens when we put truth in place in our home, but we leave grace out. See, grace is the thing that brings the comfort zone, the the room temperature, where people are more likely to respond. And that's why my wife and I, you know, we we went on a kind of a journey to find out what this grace looks like, and and, and we came up with this concept we call grace-based families or grace-based parenting. We also wrote a book called Grace-Filled Marriage. And and I can summarize grace-based parenting in one sentence. It's simply treating your kids the way God treats you. That's all it is. Well, what we did when we realized we were going to be parents, we realized there was a lot of fear-based parenting going on in the Christian movement, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, image control parenting, uh, a lot of sin management parenting. We knew these are all dead on arrival hands. They will not work. They will not get the product that we were working so hard for. And so we went to work, and, and in the process, we, take, we, we saw that you could distill God's active grace down to kind of some some things we get a handle on. I want you to put up that first diagram. There's a, we, you know, I think when you can distill something complicated down to a napkin, you know, you're getting there. So God's grace, uh, you know, it, we saw it coming at us in four ways at the bottom there. He always meets our inner needs. He gets, sets our hearts free. He builds our character muscles, and he aims us at something bigger than here now in ourself. Now, if you flip that over, there's, uh, we fill in the blanks there. We don't have time for that, but I'm going to take that one level. See that second level? I want to unpack that for you in the, in, in the minutes we have left to show you, give you a taste of what God's applied grace looks like. Because one of the things God's grace does for us is it sets our hearts free. It sets our hearts free. And freedom is not the, opt, the, the ability to do whatever you want to do. That's not freedom. That's called anarchy. That's license. 
Freedom is being able to do what you were designed and made and created to do and to be what you were designed and created to be. And let me give you four wonderful freedoms that God gives us and that we can give our children as, as parents that really changes the temperature in the house. Look at this. The first one is grace-based parents give their children the freedom to be different. Now, you're looking at me and you're saying, okay, that's okay, that sounds pretty good, pretty tame, maybe even pretty lame. Let me give you some synonyms for different, for you note-takers, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. They give their children the freedom to be weird and bizarre and strange and goofy and quirky. Grace, uh, excuse me, fear-based Christian homes do not have room for weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, quirky kids, and neither do performance-based Christian homes. They don't have room for those kind of kids. And the reason is those kind of kids annoy the parents. By the way, they still annoy them in a grace-based home. They annoy us. Sometimes they embarrass us. And, and I, I'm not talking about the kids doing something evil or wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about being weird. Just weird. And then what's, you, you want to say, why? What? They're just weird. See, grace-based homes celebrate those kind of kids and those quirky little things about them. You have a little boy. You, you send them in the backyard to play. The, these kids will sometimes go do a headbutt right into a tree. <laughs> what is... He's a little kid. They do headbutts into things that don't move. You have a little girl. If she's playing by herself, she's never alone. I don't care who she is. She's never alone. She has imaginary friends. They have names. They're not things, they're people. You give her a pile of rocks, she'll make a family. This is Earl, this is the dad, here's mom. You know. <laughs> give her a bunch of Barbie dolls, she'll put them in a little semicircle, play the view, and they'll all argue with each other. <laughs> her brother comes in, sees the Barbie doll, what does he do? His little brother, bite the head off, throw it like a grenade, make explosive sound. They're, 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 they're just kids. Then they become teenagers. And, and, and one, one, one says, hey, he goes over to his friend's house. You know, I'm thinking about doing something different with my hair. I really want to make a statement. The friend said, cool, I'll help. <laughs> Look, lay down in the grass, cover your ears. He does, and the guy gets out the weed whacker, you know. And then they go in, he says, come in. Uh, he goes into mom, mom's medicine cabinet, finds some of that Clairol, L'Oreal stuff. It just squeezes a bunch of it into the thing, mixes it up, sticks it in the kid's hair, you know, leaves it on for two hours or something way over. And then he kind of rinses it out, and what hair doesn't fall out, you know, it, it, it's a little green, a little blue, a little pink, a little yellow. They spike it out. And then he goes home to ask his mother what she thinks of his hairdo. And he comes, and she looks at him. And here's something that is, is notorious coming out of some parents. I don't think Jesus would be very pleased with your hair. <laughs> Isn't it amazing when we're desperate, we drop the biggest name we know? <laughs> By the way, I read to the Bible every year, and right now, kids' hair is pretty mild and tame, but it's gone through stages. It'll come back. And I had to referee a lot of families when the, the hair was the battle. And I, I wondered, what, what does the Bible actually say about it? I read to the Bible every year, and one year I just put a little uh, uh, note, keep an eye out for what God has to say about hair. Listen, I've read the entire Bible on this one, and I know what God has to say about hair. He basically says, I don't care. It's your hair. Express yourself. You can use it as a lab experience. I don't care. It's your hair. 
And some of you might want to grab the chance while you can. Because <laughs> it's going to bail on you. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. Can parents make uh, rules about their kids' hair? Arbitrary rules. Yes, arbitrary. You're the parent. You, can, you have the option if you want to. But it's arbitrary. So the problem is when we make a moral issue out of it, when it's not a moral issue, or even worse, a biblical issue out of it, when it's not a biblical one. That's legalism. And, and what that does is that shoves a wedge between that kid's heart and us, so it's hard to you know, connect to the heart of a child in such a way, and it drives a wedge between them and God. So we can make arbitrary rules for our kids about maybe uh, so, uh, so certain styles if we want to or what. But just don't make it a moral issue when it's not. You call audibles all the time. We did it with our kids. Cody, boy, he went through some experiments with his hair. But, but what, let's say we're going to a wedding or a funeral, and they want to dress like they were dragged behind a car. No, 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 no. You got to dress a little nicer for that. This, you know, we can do that. Call audibles. I was speaking at a church in uh, Miami, Florida. And uh, in fact, church was over. I was in the taxi going to the airport, uh, and when my phone went off, it was our youngest son, Colt. That, that year, he was a junior higher, he was in the eighth grade, in the beginning of that year, he said, Dad, can I grow my hair real long? I said, man, give it your best shot. You're going to have to grow it a long time before it's as long as mine was in junior high. So he grew it, and by the way, he was, he was always tall for his age, he's like already up at like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, at that point. But he grew his hair real long, it looked great. He called me, Dad, Dad, it's spring break. I know, we're going to have a lot of fun. He said, Dad, I was wondering, can I have a mohawk? Hmm, okay, I thought about that. You know what, that would be fun. That'd be fun. Look, I'm going to be home tonight about 7.30. Uh, I'll cut you a great mohawk. And then next Saturday, we have to buzz it off because your school doesn't allow it. Okay, now, you got to understand, I was factoring in something. I was factoring in church. The reason is because we go to Scottsdale Bible Church, and at that time we had a Sunday evening church that was exactly like the morning, just like you guys have, but all the youth programs were in the evenings. So they brought all the young families in in the evening, and I knew he wouldn't, he'd be getting home about seven, so everything's fine. I hung up. He hung up. Our daughter Shiloh was listening. What did dad say? He said, I can have one. He's going to cut it for me when I get home, when he gets home. She said, I know how to cut one of those. They got out the clippers and the scissors, and they trimmed the side. Now, remember, his hair was really long. They took Elmer's glue, and they did that. I mean, it was huge. And he went to church. Now, they had two services in the evening, and in between the services, everybody's kind of out there in the atrium. And, he had, and our pastor at that time was a guy named Daryl, and he was out there talking to some people, and he saw Colt across the thing, and he looked at him. Colt Kimmel, is that you? Get over here. And he came over, and he, and he had to look up to him, because he told him, he said, that's the greatest mohawk I've ever seen. That's inc- How do you do that? Glue. And then, you know, he, he said, I wish I had a camera to take a picture of you. me and Colt Kimmel with his mohawk. I put it in my said, that is the finest mohawk I've ever seen. I tell you this story for a very specific reason. Because it was very important to my wife, Darcy, and I that we took our kids to a grace-based church. It was very important to us that we, that we took them to a church where the people running it know what matters and what doesn't matter. 
The Bible says man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. I'm sure when he came to church, the older people were trying to grab every medication they could in their purse and just think, what has happened to our church and what happened to security? But the people running it know what matters. Man, look, God looks on the heart. This kid had a great heart. He loved the Lord. He loved his parents. He loved his city. He was a good friend. He worked hard in school. He just wouldn't have a mohawk. You say, wait a minute, Tim. Hold, hold, hold it. What, don't you think sometimes when you look at a kid and the way they're expressing themselves that there's something wrong inside? Yeah, sometimes you look at people that, okay, they're in a free fall. My question to you, does it make any sense to attack the outside? The outside is a symptom. Deal with the heart. Get the heart right. The outside will take care of itself. If the heart's fine, don't worry about the outside. Grace-based families give the people they love the freedom to be different. Look at this. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 to 7, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, that, look at this, that together you may... With one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another. Look, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And one of the things Christ does is he gives us, he celebrates the freedom for us to be different. Let's look at this. Another verse here, Psalm 139, 14. He says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Many of the, the little idiosyncrasies of our kids were hardwired into them by God. And these can many times turn parlay into great strengths, maybe even a career that they have. So grace-based families allow their children to freedom to be different. Secondly, they, 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 they give their parents, the, uh, grace-based parents give their children the freedom to be vulnerable, to be vulnerable. Meaning that they don't have to wear masks around us. They can verbalize their doubts and fears. Their inadequacies... And fragile nature can come to the surface without fear of them being attacked or have that used against them. I was going into the ninth grade, big high school, Annapolis High School out in Maryland. And I was very excited about going to that school because the girls were prettier, the rock and roll was louder, there was more of both. And I was going to play football for their famous coach. But that summer, in between my eighth and ninth grade, several hundred of us incoming freshmen got letters in the mail from the Board of Education saying that because of overcrowded conditions, we were being annexed to an elementary school in downtown Annapolis. And so instead of going to the big high school, we're back in elementary school. There were a lot of trade-offs. Probably the biggest one was in the area of phys ed, because normally for phys ed, you would go and put on like a little phys ed outfit, you go out and play, and it's a humid area, so you sweat a lot, no problem, you can take a shower, put your school clothes back on. Couldn't do that, we had to do everything in our school clothes. There was a gymnasium on the second floor of a building a couple blocks from this school, and that's where we went for phys ed when it was cold or inclement weather. And I came in one winter morning for phys ed, and I, walked, I went up the steps and walked in, and as soon as I got, I got really excited because there was a trampoline opened in the gym. I got excited because I'd never jumped on one before. They weren't, they weren't pieces of equipment in backyards back then. The, the, our PE teacher, uh, coach, came out, and we all gathered around. He looked, kind of looked around at all of it. He came back to me. He said, Kimmel take off your shoes, leave on your socks, climb up here and follow my instructions. So I pulled my shoes off and climbed up, but as I did, I realized I had holes in both of my socks. Not one, both. And one of my friends wanted to make sure everybody noticed, oh, look at Tim's toes, isn't this sad? We need to take up a collection and help Tim buy some real socks. It was kind of the way he was putting me in my place economically, because by the way, my family, we were the lower rank of the middle class. We paid our bills in time, we didn't miss a meal, but we try to get as much mileage out of our clothing as we can. And it seemed like a good idea until then. 
Now, if, 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 they were to, if that were to happen to me now, I could care less about that kind of thing. But, you know, that quarter of time, that's a kid, that's a, when that, that, that 13, 14, 15, 16, that's a time when kids are unusually self-conscious. And this became a very embarrassing moment for me, a humiliating moment. So I was up there, and I was jumping, doing exactly what he told me to do, but all I could think about was my toes. When I, my turn was down, the guys were up there. I'm thinking, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get out my sock drawer. I'm going to darn every pair. I will never let this happen to me again. When the class was over, the, you know, bell rang. The coach dismissed us. He took off. I went and got on my shoes. I went over. There was a thing over there where I got out my coat and my books. And, and, then, and, and then I went out the side door. I got to the bottom of the stairs. And I hear my name, Kimmel. Wait up. It was that coach. He came down. And he pulled me aside. I said, hey, Tim, I want to tell you why I called on you to do the demonstration. Tim, you're the most agile student in my class. And then he reached out and he untied his, teacher, his tennis shoe and he pulled it off. He had a big old hole in his sock. He pulled his tennis shoe off. He says, you know, us agile guys are tough on socks, man. <laughs> <laughs> now go to class. So I'm heading over to class. And the whole way I'm thinking, what's agile? I'd never heard of, I had no idea what he was talking about. But I was going to an English class. They had these big old dictionaries that they, they actually loved it when you looked up a word without a gun held to your head. I looked up agile. And I read for the first time in my life that I could move with speed, ease, elegance, and liveliness. I also read that I was mentally alert and quick witted. No one had ever told me that before. I wrote it down, I memorized it. And I did a 180 degree turn in two major areas of my life academics and athletics. In fact, a couple weeks later, they had this challenge. Who can do the most sit-ups in the ninth grade? Now, these weren't those crunch things you do today. No, these are these things that they have since outlawed because of lower back injury, where you had to get this, you had to lay your legs flat. They hadn't figured out, bend the knees, take, no, 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 flat. Somebody held them down, which by the way, hurt like mad. And you had to come all the way up, touch the opposite thing. Well, I set the record that year. And the only reason I kept going is because I wanted to set the record. And the guy next to me wouldn't stop. But we kept going up. They let, let us keep going. We, we sat up through phys ed class, through English class, and through lunch. They're sending out reds. They're up to 590. That kind of, my stomach muscles hurt for several days after that. But I didn't care because I was agile. <laughs> <You know. laughs> now, here's the point. It took me a while to put the pieces together to figure out why the coach disappeared so quickly after class. He had to get through his little office there, just off the get his scissors out real fast, cut the hole in it, put it back on, and chase me down. Because I'm thinking he's a PE coach. They don't they don't have holes in their socks. They new socks and shoes are part of the deal. They have the best foot equipment of anybody out there. But he saw a vulnerable kid that needed help, and he touched his life with grace. Now listen, our children and our grandchildren have these kind of moments. All the time. Someone has said, childhood is a 24-hour day, seven-day a week, 365-day-a-year battle to keep from being embarrassed. This is not a time to trivialize, to mock, to disregard. This is a time to, to empathize. And does, it may, may not make sense to us, but it sure makes sense to them. Grace shows, comes alongside. You know, you know, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He talks about and a big debate on what that was. But regardless, he went to God several times to ask him to take it away. And each time God said no. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, here's God's answer to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then he went on, therefore, you know, I will boast more gladly 
of my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest in me. So as we bring grace to their vulnerabilities, these vulnerabilities may never go away in their life, and yet these things don't have to hold them hostage because they were living in a home where they could process them well. Let me give you one more verse I like on this one. Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace-based families allow their children the freedom to be different and vulnerable. Thirdly, grace-based parents give their children the freedom to be candid. To be candid. Notice I didn't say honest. Because, see, bare-naked honesty can be cruel. The Jerry Springer show is an example of that. They depend on these people telling exactly what they feel, regardless of the impact it has on the person. Candor is honesty with a concern for how it impacts the people on the receiving end of it. That's the difference. And, and we want to give them the freedom to be candid. We need to give the people we love a respectful outlet for telling us what's on their heart, even if it's something we're not excited about hearing. Maybe your teenager said, look, I'm sorry, I know what you all have taught me, and, but I'm having a hard time believing that Jesus is the only way. That the Bible is the only reliable source. This is not a time to panic, to hire some Wayne Grudem or some theologian from Phoenix Seminary and duct tape them to your kid's face. Smarter kids than yours and mine have questioned and doubted their faith. It's time to remain calm while their faith is on trial. And show them what a confident faith looks like while they're going through this. They'll get through it. They need to have an outlet to tell, tell us when we've let them down. Because, see, we have an outlet to tell them when they've let us down, don't we? We just tell them, right? But is that a two-way street? Because unless you're a perfect parent, you're going to get it wrong sometimes. Is that a two-way street? You say, well, why would I let him do that? Because this is what God does with us, and he never gets it wrong. But in Hebrews chapter 4, it's very interesting. Let me give you the backdrop on it. He says, you know, we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand what it's like to be in our skin, but was not always tempted like we are, yet without sin. But then he says there in verse, six, uh, in, in verse 16, he says, let us then approach the throne of grace. Look at this, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Have you ever been angry at God? I have. My mom died a lot younger than I thought she should have. Now, God didn't make a mistake, and he certainly didn't explain it to me. I won't understand. But he, didn't, he, he wasn't upset with me coming to him. He said, I know what it's like to be in your skin. I'm a perfect parent. I don't make mistakes, but I understand your frustration. Come to me. You have a safe harbor here to talk to me. Now, he's a perfect parent. We're imperfect parents. So if he does this and he's perfect, why wouldn't we do it if we're imperfect when we clearly make mistakes? Our son Cody, you know, that came over here. Uh, he, was a, he was in high school. He finished his homework. And um, he's getting ready to go to bed. And said, oh, Dad, Dad, I forgot. I, I need you to sign me out of school tomorrow morning. Uh, I need to be, uh, uh, call him and sign me out by noon. Why? What's up? He says, oh, it's opening day, day of the Diamondbacks. And my friend David got tickets right behind the dugout and invited me to go. Now, the year before, we had beaten the Yankees in the World Series. It's a big opening game. But for some absolutely stupid reason, I thought I should use this as an opportunity to teach my kid about personal responsibility. I said, Cody, you go to school. 
Uh, you, you, you know, it starts at eight, it ends at three. You can't just take off because something fun's out there. But dad, dad, they're going to have F-16s fly. Well, that's nice. But, but, you know, I went back. But it's like you have jobs. I have a job. There's all kinds of fun things when we're working, but we have to stay till quitting time. Dad, I think Randy Johnson's going to be the man. Once again, that's a nice idea. But, and I came back to my little lecture on personal response. You can just see him getting more and more frustrated, exasperated. I was causing him to resent me. Exactly what he says we're not supposed to do. He said, Dad, I think Alice Cooper's going to sing the national anthem. <laughs> then he got real quiet. He said, Dad, listen, I bring you home straight A's. All I've ever brought you home are straight A's. I can't bring you any better grades home than I'm bringing you. Now, you need to decide whether I can go to that game. It was like a gigantic divine hand came right down on the clouds, did one of these big ones right on my head. <laughs> what is your stinking problem, Kimmel? Sign that boy out. What is your problem? And here's what's really ironic. Those straight A's didn't come from his father's side of the gene pool. came from his mother's. I struggled in school. I mean, I, mean, I felt you should have vows and consonants on your report card. See, Dad, I think it's one of them find a word things. I see, like, can you sign the bottom? I mean, this was the dumbest thing. I reached in my pocket. I took out two large bills and I handed it to him. I said, Cody, make sure you buy the big hot dogs and the big drinks for you and Stephen. And Cody, please forgive me for being such an idiot. I'm so sorry. Now listen, as you get older, move into that twilight years of your life, it's not uncommon for the memories of childhood to just start to blur and fade away. And Cody, this the incident may be one of those ones that just fades away in Cody's mind. But had I held my ground and refused to sign him out, get this, he would have never forgotten to the last day he lived what a jerk he had for a father. We get it wrong sometimes. There needs to be a respectful way. Now, he was respectful about it. He didn't yell. He was respectful. Now, here's how you raise the odds your kids will speak respectfully to you when they're frustrated with you. And then just speak respectfully to them when you're frustrated with them. God doesn't scream and yell at us. He doesn't shame us. And yet we let him down all the time. That's what grace looks like played out. Last, uh, let me give you one more verse on this. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Well, I said grace-based parents give the kids the freedom to be different, vulnerable, candid. One more. And that is grace-based parents give their kids the freedom to make mistakes. To make mistakes. Let me give you another way of putting that down if you're taking it. The freedom to be imperfect. That doesn't mean, uh, let me put it this way. If home is where life makes up its mind, then home must be a place where disappointments are tolerated, hurts are endured, and mistakes never mean the end of a relationship. In fact, mistakes have nothing to do with the relationship. The relationship is secure. That's what we learned in the first three chapters of this book. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love was at a top drawer when we were at our worst. So look, grace-based parents give their children the freedom to be different, vulnerable, candid, and make mistakes. And get this, in, a, in an environment of grace, grace-based children give their parents the same freedoms too. It, it, that's why it becomes a, a, a reciprocal thing where it brings the best out of everybody in the family picture. And all I'm talking about is when Christ is in his rightful place, you don't have to do this like a checklist. You just, when he's in his rightful place, this is what's going to come out. 
And this becomes our litmus test. How are we doing in our walk with God right now? Well, listen, these napkin cards, we have them on the resource table. You might want to pick one up and look at it. And there's resources that can help you in each one of those areas, including our marriage. Because if I was going to draw one out, what's grace look like in a marriage? I'd draw the exact same thing. Because this is what God's applied grace looks like. Uh, last thing, and then i got to sit down here. And that is the window of opportunity to touch our kids with God's grace isn't opened as long as we think it is. I was reminded of this one Saturday morning when uh, I was deep asleep and uh, our daughter Shiloh came in. She was about maybe five, six, and she shook me away. Dad, Dad, it's time to get up and go on our date. I promised her the night before I'd take her out for a breakfast date. And she got up and got ready, and, 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 and she was all there. And I looked at the class and said, Honey, it's still dark outside. But Dad, I... I picked this outfit out for you. I did my hair for you. And, and, and I got such a kick out of it, and I knew where she wanted to go. It was open, because it's open 24-7, as a Circle K, the, you know, about a mile from our house. She, that's where she wanted to go, and I no problem. I got up got ready. We got over there right about dawn. We, she picked out a couple of donuts, some juice. I picked, got some coffee. I paid for everything. We went out, and we sat down on a curb on the side of the Circle K to have our day. We're, there's a dumpster over here, but we're fine. We're over here. Everything's fine, man. And I'm letting her set the agenda. She wanted to talk, talk about the Sleeping Beauty video we got for her. She'd been watching that over and over again. She'd be yapping away about Sleeping Beauty. I'm listening. And I said, what's your favorite part? She said, Dad, I love the part at the end when the handsome prince and Sleeping Beauty dance together in a castle. I thought, well, you know, that's my favorite part because I would seen the movie. I decided to reenact it. I don't know what provoked me. And I picked her up right there. And, and I started singing that song, I know you. I waltz you. And we're waltzing around. As I came around, there was an empty field here, and there were some brand new homes right over there. And, 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 and you could see right into this guy's uh, breakfast area, and there was a man just staring at me. <laughs> and, and I said, He's over there calling his way, honey, honey, quick, quick, to look. There's an idiot over to Circle K, <laughs> dancing with a little girl next to a dumpster. But then another thought crossed my mind, and in a very brief period of time, some young man was going to come along and tap me on the shoulder and say, Mr. Kimmel, May I cut in and waltz her out of my life for good? It turned out his name was Ian, a wonderful young man. He just showed up so much sooner than I thought it would be. Listen, when it comes to the rigors of parenting, the days are long, but the years are short. That's why we don't want to wait till tomorrow. Let grace, let Christ have his rightful place and his grace come through. Lord Jesus, you love us so much and in ways that we can't even imagine. And the thought that you would send your son and, 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 and take care of the sin nightmare that we had created with you once and for all. And then now just deal with us according to that grace. And we want your grace to take its rightful place in our heart because we want you to take our rightful place in our heart so that it will be something, not that we're trying to act out, but just simply coming through us for your glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.